Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John chapter 14, and I'll read verses 16 and the beginning of 17. And Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever, that is, the Spirit of truth. We're in this section in John's Gospel which is called the Upper Room Discourse, the night before his crucifixion. And in the previous chapter, Jesus has begun to tell them some very troubling news. One of them will betray him, and Judas Iscariot has gone out at the end of that chapter. And Jesus has also told them that soon he will depart from them to a place where they cannot now come. The news of his departure has troubled their minds because they have come to know him as the Lord and Master. They have given up everything to follow him. They have depended upon him and looked to him for all things. They have come to believe that he is the Messiah, the Christ of the living God, the Son of the living God. They have believed that he has the words of eternal life, all wisdom and guidance that they have needed has come from him. He has sent them out to preach and the miraculous powers to cast out demons have all come from the Lord Jesus Christ. But now he is departing from them and this most troubling news has come to them. What will life now be like without him and how can they possibly continue? And Jesus in these chapters, he, his great purpose is to give them comfort and consolation For their grief, they are stunned by what they have heard. They are discouraged. They are downcast. They are confused. And Jesus seeks to alleviate their fears and anxieties throughout this chapter. He speaks to them and tells them in verse 1, Let their hearts not be troubled. He gives them the cure, which is to believe in God and to believe in him also. And then he tells them that he is going on a worthy mission to his father's house. And When he is there, he will prepare a place for them, and then he will come to receive them and take them to himself. We gain an insight in this chapter into the relationship of Jesus with his disciples. Many times in the Gospels we see Jesus in the public place preaching, but here we see Jesus In this private room, Jesus and his disciples alone, and we see their interaction with one another. And Jesus here proves himself to be a sympathizing and a compassionate high priest to his disciples. We see how comfortable they feel with him. We see that they are at ease with him. They are able to come and speak freely to him, They are even able to express their doubts and their confusion, their fears and their griefs. They had much misunderstanding. Here in this upper room, there were things that we would think they should have known already because he had spoken to them so many times, but 
They are still free to come to him. At times, Jesus needs to correct them. But he never does so in such a way that they feel that he has pushed them off and they are always welcome to come to him again and again. He is always gentle and they regard him as their friend and there was nothing that they would hide from him in this upper room. We see in verse 4, Jesus said to them, and you know the way where I am going. And then immediately Thomas, he has an objection to this. He says, Lord, in verse 5, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? If we do not even know where, how can we possibly know the way? And then Jesus says in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And he says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. How now? From now on, you will know him and have seen him. And then in verse 6, as if Philip did not even think about what Jesus had just said, Philip immediately begins to make a request. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And then Jesus begins this long, lengthy answer to Philip's question, and he patiently explains what he has already told them before, that he is in the Father and the Father is in him. And down in verse 22, as Jesus is going through this long explanation, in verse 22, Judas interrupts him. Judas, right in the middle of his discussion, Judas comes and he says in verse 22, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? And so what we see throughout this passage is that these disciples on this night, in all of their confusion, their need, their fears of the future, they were always comfortable and at ease to come to Jesus with their doubts, their questions, and to cast all of their anxieties upon him because they knew that he would never turn them away and he would never despise them for their weakness but he would always deal with them in great kindness and patience. And so we need to remember that this same Jesus is now at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, and he is our great high priest, our sympathizing and our compassionate high priest in heaven. And just as these disciples were so free to go to him on this night with all of their cares, so we may do the same with him in heaven. He is still the same at the right hand of God with his disciples as he was on this night here. We've been looking at the heart of Jesus in heaven now that he is exalted, the heart of Christ toward his disciples as we remain here on earth and we have seen that his heart in heaven is the same as it was when he was on earth and his love and his affection has never changed for us. It is what John said in John 13 and verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he now still continues to love them to the end, to the uttermost. And this is what we see here in the verse that I read in verse chapter 14 and verse 16, that this here is a continuing proof of the love of Christ that he will have for us in heaven. 
when he returns to his heavenly father. He tells them what he will do when he ascends and takes his seat at the right hand of God. This is the first thing that I will do, he says, when I arrive in that place of glory beside my heavenly father once again, I will ask the father and I will make this request on behalf of you and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. I will ask him for another helper, another one who is just like me, with the same divine attributes as I have, another one of me, with the same power and wisdom and grace and everything that you need will be found in him. And this is what Jesus continues to do for all of his disciples in heaven is he continues in his great intercession for us at the right hand of God the Father in that world of glory above. We are his great concern and he continues to ask the Father to send to us this another helper just like himself to be our help in all of our need. The disciples have thought that his departure would mean that they would lose fellowship with Jesus. Jesus tells them down in verse 20, he says, In that day when the Holy Spirit comes, you shall know that I am in the Father and you in me, and I in you. In other words, I will still be with you, and I will come to you in the power of the Holy Spirit and dwell with you. My departure from you will not mean a loss of any fellowship, but it will mean a deeper fellowship than you have ever known before. I will come to you and dwell with you by my Holy Spirit. And he confirms this again at the end of verse 21. I will disclose myself to him in the end of verse 23 as well. We will come to him and make our abode with him. And because the continuing love of Christ is seen so much in this gift of the Holy Spirit continuing with us, Christ being with us, in us, by the Holy Spirit, we want to take some time to look at other passages in this upper room discourse where Jesus speaks of this Holy Spirit and his coming to us. And this morning we want to begin in chapter 16, in chapter 16, and Jesus in verses 6 and 7, he speaks again a promise of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 16 and verse 6, he says, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In verse 6, Jesus acknowledges that it was because of the things that he had just spoken to them that sorrow had filled their hearts. Their sorrow, the sorrow that he speaks of here was partly because of the words that he had just spoken in the previous context that the world would hate them, persecute them, even kill them, put them to death. 
Part of their sorrow was from the news that he was soon to depart from them and they would not be able to follow him. But part of the sorrow was also out of selfish and carnal motives, out of the losses that they thought they would experience in this world because they misunderstood the nature of his kingdom. They thought his kingdom was an earthly and a temporal kingdom in which he would sit on a glorious throne in Jerusalem. He would conquer the enemies of Israel. He would overthrow the Roman oppression, and they themselves would share in his glory on his throne in his great kingdom. You remember when the disciples, John and James, came to Jesus, and they said, Grant that we would sit in your glory, one on your right hand and one on your left. That's what they desired, to sit with him on this glorious earthly throne in Jerusalem when he was king. But now they've heard the news of his coming departure. And so all those hopes have been dashed suddenly and this sorrow has filled their hearts. It is really a worldly sorrow in many ways because they too highly valued his physical presence with them And now they thought all of these future hopes were lost. We remind ourselves here of an important lesson that we can easily lose sight of. That the blessings of the Christian life are primarily heavenly and spiritual blessings. And the promises of God will come to their ultimate fulfillment only in the world to come, not in this present Life. It is true that God meets our earthly needs and we enjoy many good things from his hand. But if we fix our hope too much upon earthly things, then we set ourselves up for the same sorrow of the disciples on this night. In this world, we have many trials and tribulations just like Jesus did only in the world to come is the glory and the peace and the joy that he now enjoys at the right hand of God. But here in John chapter 16, Jesus is trying to relieve the sorrow of his disciples. And so he begins to teach them of the true spiritual nature of his kingdom. And he compensates the loss of his physical presence by directing them now to another promise of the Holy Spirit and the benefits that would come to them by the Spirit in verses 7 through 16. We see here, we begin, we look at verse 7 here this morning, and Jesus in verse 7 begins by promising them that that it will be to their advantage that he goes away from them. He tells them that it is part of God's plan that he must ascend into heaven before the Holy Spirit can come to them in this way. He says in the beginning of verse 7, he says, But I tell you the truth. It is a truth of God's kingdom which cannot be changed. He says, It is to your advantage, it is to your greater benefit and blessing that I go away. And then he states it both negatively and positively that it was necessary for him to go away or else the helper, the Holy Spirit, 
would not come. He says first negatively, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But then positively, but if I go, I will send him to you. The same promise that we saw back in chapter 14 and verse 16. I will ask the Father and he will send to you another helper. There it was the Father who sent the Holy Spirit. Here it is Jesus. If I go, I will send him to you. So the Holy Spirit is sent by both the Father and the Son. Which once again proves the divinity of Jesus. Because he is not just the mediator. But he is God as well, equal with the Father in all the glory and majesty of the Godhead. And just as the Father does, so the Son does likewise. And the Father and the Son both send the Holy Spirit to us. Jesus said in John 5 and verse 19, Whatever the Father does, the Son does also in like manner, in order that all may honor the Son even as they honor the Father. Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. That word advantage means it will be to your greater good. It will be more helpful to you. It's the same word that he used in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 30, where he said, and if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, For it is better for you, there's the word, for it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than your whole body go into hell. This is what he means here. It is better for you. It is better. It is to your greater good. It is for your benefit and it will promote your interests if I go away from you. Sometimes the word is translated expedient. Sometimes it is translated, it is profitable. This is what Paul, how Paul translates the word, or how Paul uses the word in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. There's the word profitable. Jesus is saying that it will be profitable for you that I go away. We see the same word used in John's gospel here, another time back in chapter 11, And verse 50, we'll turn back there for just a moment in John chapter 11. And beginning in verse 47, we'll pick up the account here because Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. And the Jews are amazed at this resurrection work of Jesus. Beginning in verse 47, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they convene a council, the Sanhedrin, to find out what they should do. We read in verse 47 and 48, therefore the chief priests and the, and the Pharisees convened a council. And we're saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So they realized that if they continued to let Jesus raise men from the dead, then everyone would believe in him and all the people would begin to think that he was the Messiah and the stability of the nation would be endangered because the Romans would not just stand by idly, they would come and destroy the nation. 
the Pharisees, the chief priests here, they were the privileged class of that society. What they're really interested in is defending, preserving their own personal interests, which is the way it always is with men. Something must be done to stop this man, Jesus. And what shall it be? And then we see in verses 49 and 50, but a certain one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient. There's the word. It is expedient. It is to our advantage. It is expedient for you that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation should not perish. So, when he says that it is expedient, it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people, he is speaking of the coming death of Christ. It is better for him to die, no matter how innocent he might be, rather than the whole nation should be destroyed by the Romans. And John explains how he said this in verse 51. Now this he did not say on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. So what we have here is a great irony taking place because Caiaphas even unknown to himself, he made this prophecy. And he had one purpose in the death of Christ, to put him to death, to preserve their privileges in the nation. But God had an entirely contrary purpose, to gather together all the people of God, not just in the nation of Israel, but all of them scattered abroad throughout the world and to bring them all into the salvation of Jesus Christ. And so we learn this lesson here that God uses the plans of wicked men to accomplish his own purposes and the death of Christ is a supreme example of it. Evil men do wicked things in this world. We see it often all around us, we see sin on the rise. We see the oppression and the persecution of God's people. Men even desire to put an end to his kingdom. And when we see such things, we are dismayed and we think that only harm can come from such things. But God's power is greater than the power of evil men. And his wisdom is higher than any foolish so-called wisdom of men. And God is able to take what they desire for evil and turn it into good and use it for the establishment of his kingdom. That's what's happening here. Caiaphas has this evil purpose to put Jesus to death to save the nation from the Romans. God has another purpose for the death of his son to bring salvation and to gather all of his people into one. It is what Joseph said in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20 to his brothers. 
When they sold him into slavery, he said, You meant it against for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result and to preserve many people. This has always been God's way. And that's what we see here. But we see the meaning of the word here. It is expedient. It is to your advantage. It is to our benefit to have him put to death. This is the same word back in chapter 16 and verse 7. Back in chapter 16 and verse 7. Jesus says, it is to your advantage. He must go away before the Holy Spirit will come. The Spirit was not yet given in all of his fullness because Jesus was not yet glorified. And he must go to the cross and purchase the Holy Spirit and then after the resurrection ascend back into heaven and take his seat in heaven and from the right hand of God the Father. He would remember his disciples and out of his continuing and eternal love for them, he would send to them another helper and this other helper would come and be to their advantage, to their greater good and to their benefit. They did not realize it, these disciples at the time. But the benefits that they would enjoy by the coming of the Holy Spirit would be beyond anything that they had known by the physical presence of Christ with them. The Spirit will bring a more excellent ministry than the physical presence of Christ itself could ever bring to them. Several reasons for this. Why the coming of the Holy Spirit would be to their advantage. The first is that Jesus' physical body is limited to one location only. During the time of his earthly ministry, Jesus could only be in one place at one time. On the Sabbath day, it was his custom to go to the synagogue and worship. But he could only be in one synagogue on each Sabbath day. If he had not gone away and he had remained on earth, then perhaps, perhaps, once in our lifetime, if even that. But let us assume perhaps once in our lifetime, we would have the great privilege of having the physical presence of Jesus with us here. What a blessing it would be. But then the next Lord's Day, he would need to be in some other church. And we may never have his presence with us ever again on another Lord's Day. And this is the way it would always be. The physical presence of Christ is limited to only one place at one time. But the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. And the Holy Spirit can be in every place. In any place at all times. With all of his glorious attributes and grace and power. 
And so by the Holy Spirit now Christ comes to be with us. I in you. Christ comes and dwells among his churches according to his promise. And he can be in every church on every Lord's Day. With all of his gracious presence by the Holy Spirit. This is much to our advantage. This is very much to our advantage that he goes away so that he will send to us the Holy Spirit. And then the Spirit will be with his disciples to the end of the age as they go and spread the gospel to all the nations. Christ will go with them. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the world. And so wherever the gospel goes, Christ goes with his disciples and his church in the preaching of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Another reason why the coming of the Spirit is to our advantage is because the presence of Christ is, the physical presence of Jesus Christ is only outside of us. He could never enter into us with his physical presence. He could speak words to our ears, but he could not speak the word to our hearts. And so much of the work of our salvation must take place within us. And only the Holy Spirit, a spiritual being, can come and dwell within us and do the great work which could never be done by the physical presence of Jesus in itself. I will come to you, he says, by my Holy Spirit, And the work of the Holy Spirit within you will be far greater than any work that I can do outside of you. So this was greatly to their advantage that he goes away to clear the way for the Holy Spirit to come. Jesus does not mean that his physical presence was not a blessing to the disciples. When he was with them on earth, it was. We see that in many ways in the gospel by the truth, the comfort he brought to them. But he speaks here by way of comparison that the work of the Holy Spirit once he ascends into heaven would be so excellent in all of his ways, so much more refreshing to their souls, so much more enlightening to their minds. With power he would come and teach them and give them comfort that they would have never known. And so it is very much to our advantage that he goes away that he might send another helper to us. He does not mean that the disciples did not have the Spirit even at this time or that the Old Testament saints did not have the Holy Spirit, but he speaks in relative terms that when he ascends back into heaven, the Holy Spirit will come in much fuller and greater influence, in fuller measure than disciples of Christ have ever known before. I tell you the truth, he says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I myself will send him to you. So we learn some lessons from these two verses here in John's Gospel. The first thing we learn here is that 
Christ's dealings with us may seem sorrowful at the time, but afterward they will be for our good. That's what we see here with the disciples. Their hearts were filled, he says in verse 6, with grief, with sorrow, at the thought of his coming departure And they thought it would all be such loss to them. But then in verse 7, Jesus assures them that it would actually be to their advantage and to their good. What was sorrowful to them and what they thought was only for their loss. Jesus explains to them, no, it is actually for your advantage and for your greater good. This is what happens to us sometimes in God's providence. When difficulties and trials come upon us, we think they are only for our loss. They come to us, they are contrary to our wills. They fill our hearts with sorrow, just like these disciples. We cannot see any wisdom and we cannot see any good that can come from them. But though we cannot see it at the time, Jesus has something better for us. And he will later bring about the benefit and the advantage and the blessing. He knows. He knows what is for our greater good. And we must trust in him. And we must wait upon him to work out his good purposes in our lives. We may be filled with sorrow as in verse 6. But Jesus comes to us and tells us, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, ultimately, that you pass through this sorrow because I will bring about even better things. And I will send to you another helper who will be with you forever. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, we know That God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. William Cowper wrote in his hymn, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, But trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. That's what these disciples needed to hear on this night. That behind the frowning face of the departure of Christ, there was the smiling face of the coming, refreshing grace of the Holy Spirit. Smiling face the helper will bring to them. A second lesson we learn here is that Jesus' love is not short-sighted to us. In other words, he is not looking to bring us pleasure just for the moment. In the short term, his love is not short-sighted. His love is always looking to the final outcome, and he is willing at times for us to pass through some sorrow for a time that he might bring about this greater advantage in the end. 
Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it afterward, afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result, may be found to result afterward in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus knows how hard it is for us to accept such things that he speaks of here. And that's why he has to so strongly urge it upon us. He knows how hard it is for us to accept that trials and difficulties will bring us good in the end. That's why he so strongly affirms it in the beginning of verse 7. And he says, but I tell you the truth. I would not deceive you with this. Yes, you have sorrow for a little while. But I tell you the truth that in the end it will all be to your advantage. A third lesson we learn here is that the Holy Spirit is a sufficient comforter for all our sorrows in this life. The end of verse 6, Jesus acknowledges sorrow has filled their heart, but he loves them, and he would not wish them to continue to feel as destitute orphans for one moment longer than necessary, and he would desire to ease their sorrow and to take it away. But what can he do for them to remove their sorrow? And how can he relieve their grief on this occasion? He says, sorrow has filled your heart, but this is what I will do. I know of another who has divine power and grace, I will send him to you, the Holy Spirit, the helper. When I arrive in heaven, I will send him to you and he is able to give you all the comfort and the consolation that you need and he is able to ease you of all of your troubles. The Holy Spirit has heavenly joy. The Holy Spirit knows the glory and the joy of Christ's presence. And the Holy Spirit is able to come and turn sorrow into joy and mourning into gladness. And he is a sufficient comforter for us in all of our needs in this life, no matter what our sorrow might be. Jesus has the answer I will send to you, he says, another helper, the Holy Spirit, to comfort you. Another lesson, the last lesson we learn from verse 7 is that everything Jesus does 
is for our advantage. He says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, he could have said, I tell you the truth, it is to my advantage that I go away. And that would have been very true because it is so much to his advantage to return back into the glory of heaven and sit upon the throne of God there. That is very much to his advantage. But his concern, his concern is not his advantage. His concern is our advantage. So he says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And this is how Jesus does everything in his life. It is always, in everything that he does, it is to our advantage. I ask you a question. Do you think Jesus would ever do anything to the disadvantage of his disciples in the end? Do you find any example of that in the Bible, in any place, that he does things that are to the final, ultimate disadvantage of his disciples? It can never be. That's what these disciples thought this night. They thought when he departs, it's to our disadvantage. We're going to lose everything now. Jesus says, no, it can never be. And those words... In verse 7, it is to your advantage. Those words are the reason he does everything that he does for us. Those words, it is to your advantage, they guide the entire life and ministry and all the work of Christ In everything that he has done, it is always to your advantage, to your benefit, to your blessing, to your greater good. This is why he left his throne in heaven and came into the world. When the fullness of time came in the plan of God and the time had arrived for him to leave his throne, of glory in heaven. He, we can imagine him turning to his heavenly father and saying, my father, I must now depart from this throne of glory. I must now leave you and come down into the world and humble myself and become a man like all of my brethren in all things like them, yet without any sin. And I am willing to do this. I am willing to humble myself in this way because because of this reason. It is to their advantage. This is the reason why he endured the painful labors of his earthly life. The temptations, the conflicts with the powers of darkness and the devil, the hatred, the opposition of men against him, the long nights of prayer, the weary hours falling asleep in the boat. He said, I must go forward in all of my labor. I cannot turn back from it. I must continue in all of my work because it is to your advantage. It is to the advantage of my disciples. That's why 
He lay upon the ground in the Garden of Gethsemane in great agony and with bloody sweat because it was for our advantage. That's why he hung upon the cross with all of our sin being laid upon him. The penalty, the wrath of God against our sin. That's why he was willing to endure it because he said, it is to the advantage of my disciples. What we see in verse 7 is the reason why he does everything in his earthly ministry. It is to your advantage who believe in him. And so it is here. On this last night, as he announces that he is departing back into heaven, it is to our advantage that he does so. It is to our advantage. It was to their advantage then. On this last night, it is to our advantage today. And everything, we can be assured that everything he does in his great ministry in heaven, in his intercession, in all of his providences, and all of his ways with us, however sorrowful they might seem to be to us at times, yet we can be assured that everything he does is to our advantage. And that's the way it will always be for us who believe in the Lord Jesus. Because of what John says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loves them to the end. And that's the way it will always be with our Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that we may come always to him as our great sympathizing high priest. And we know that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses. And while we are very weak in ourselves and we have darkness, we have fears, we have many sins, we thank you that we may always come to the Lord Jesus and find that we may cast all of our cares upon him. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for the Holy Spirit who comes to us as our helper and gives us the grace, the peace, the joy that we need in every time of trouble in this world. Be pleased, Lord Jesus, to continue your great ministry to us and have mercy upon us. And on those who do not know you here this morning, may they desire to know the great Savior and may they find Jesus to be the Savior of sinners. Thank you and ask that you would hear us now in Jesus' name. Amen.